Let's give a warm welcome once again to our online community, Kuha Worldwide. Thank you for joining with us. God is doing some amazing things. I'm telling you, it's not just locked up in this room. It's in our world. Uh, I'm excited to share part two of our series, uh, the first letter from John. Uh, because, by the way, today I'm going to be talking about, here we go, can you give me a turn, 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 like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to be talking about sin. There we go. That was, that was perfect. So, so, so for anybody that's ever said, Pastor Rowe never preaches hard on sin, I'm going to be preaching on sin today, okay? I'm going <laughs> to... I'm going to be preaching. So if you ever thought that you'll see a unicorn before you ever see me preach on sin, Sabasuke, I beat you. So let's open up our Bibles. The reason I'm going to be talking about sin because that's what we are diving into today. 1 John chapter 2, verse 1 through 14. We're going to read 14 verses. But what we're going to do is we're going to kind of hone into verse 1 and verse 2 and verse 3. Uh, the truth is this entire letter this entire chapter right here, we can do maybe six weeks just on this entire chapter. Literally, I'm, I'm going through it. I'm like, I can't even get past verse three. It's so rich with revelation and goodness. Um, so we're going to read the whole chapter, but within we're going to kind of like zoom into verse one, two, and three. And I want to encourage you to go and read it in advance. You can read this entire letter. Um, it's about five chapters. You can read the entire letter on your own. It's a good read so that you can get more context of it and in it. Um, but we're going to begin reading from verse one. And here it says, my little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. By this way, th by the way, this is going to be the best message you ever heard on sin in your life. Come on, somebody. But I'm a little biased. I'm just saying. <laughs> Where's my backup, bro? Sounds better with the backup. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. I love that. Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins. And not only for our sins, but also for the sins of the world. I love that because there's something about what Jesus did that didn't just impact those that would place faith in him. Something about what Jesus did on the cross that not only impacted those that would place faith in him, but it would impact the world. So here we are 2,000 years ago, and we got to believe that what he did 2,000 years ago has impacted even those that haven't placed faith in Jesus yet. And by this we know that we have come to know him. That word know him in the original context, John is saying is those that come to fellowship with him. So he's not talking about those that have come to place faith in him directly here. He's talking about those that are after placing faith in him are living continuously in him and abiding in him and have fellowship with him. It says those that have done that, if we keep, it says those that have come to know him if we keep his commandments whoever says I know him but does not keep his commandments is a liar now again I would love to unpack that for us today 
but there's an amazing message on YouTube that I saw. It's on the Kuhau account. It's preached by this guy named Ro Remedios called God's Only Command. It is a 35-minute message. If you ever want to know what following the commands of God according to the New Testament are, please go back and watch that message. It's called God's Only Command. By the way, I devote an entire chapter on this book called Love is Our Logo, talking about what is God's only command. He says, but, but does not keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a lie and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this we know that we are in him. Whoever says that he abides in him ought to walk in the same way he walked. Beloved, I am writing to you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At this time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him and in you. Because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Verse 9, whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother but abides in the light, uh, whoever loves his brother abides in the light. And in him there is no cause for stumbling. Verse 11, but whoever hates his brother and is in the darkness is and walks in the darkness, is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going. There's something about loving people that directs your steps in the right direction. It says, I am writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name is sake. That is so, I could preach right there. That your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I am writing to you, young man, because you have overcome the evil one. I'm writing to you, children, because you know the Father. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. I want to jump back right into verse 1, 2, and 3, because that's where we're really going to zoom into. And this is, my little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins and not for our sins only but also for the sins of the world my message to you today is solving the sin dilemma solving look at the person next to you tell them solving the sin dilemma tell them don't get scared say don't get scared we have a solution for the sin dilemma would you help me pray? Lord Jesus, we are grateful, Lord God, for just this time that we get to be together, Lord God. I'm so grateful, Lord God, that we have a family in this community, Lord Jesus. This is not just a building, Lord God, that we kind of come in and we just check that we fulfilled an obligation by coming to church, but that there is something here that is life-giving, that there's something inside what you've placed in other people that you've called me to glean from. So I thank you, Lord Jesus, for church. I thank you for church. Not a building, but a people. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Help me share this message about sin. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Let's give the Lord a strong clap offering of praise.
um, have you guys seen this uh, latest trend on TikTok? Anybody seen the latest trend on TikTok where it's parents that are pranking their kids? Have you seen that? It's pretty, it's pretty amazing. Like, these, and essentially is this, the parent is running to the room, uh, rushing to their kid's room and say, hey, listen, I need you to have my back right now because I'm going to go fight our neighbor and they have a seven-year-old daughter that's about your age and I need you to go. Teresha has done this. This was great. I forgot that Teresa, that's right. So, so they go into the room, hey, I need you to, I have someone that I got to beat up and they have a seven-year-old daughter and you got to have my back. You haven't seen that? Have you seen this? This is pretty amazing. And the essence of this prank is essentially saying, hey, listen, I want to see that when it comes down to it, that you got my back. Like that's, a, that, that's a, essentially what they're trying to find out. Like, do you got my back when, it, when the going gets tough? Do you got my back if somebody is trying to attack me? Like, and, and this reminds me of, of a prank that was played a couple of years ago because my brother, my younger brother, Rodolfo, sent me a text and it says this. It, it, it essentially said this. Hey, bro, I need your help. Have you ever got this text? Or was that, am I the only one? Like, this is a couple of years ago. Hey, bro, I need your help. You can't ask me any questions. You can, uh, it's, bro, I need your help. You can't ask me any questions about it and you can never ask me any questions about it and we're going to hurt some people. When I get this text, I do what I think is the best thing to do. So I respond to him, my brother, and I'm like, hey, what do you mean I can't ask you any questions? What is it that you have done that has gotten into this dilemma that I was jeopardizing my life, and now I have to go and defend you? What did you do to put you in this predicament? And he's like, yo, bro, for real? I thought you had my back. I was like, this is me having your back. He goes, that's funny because I sent it to my older brother, Raul, and he said, let me know when I need to be ready. I sent it to your son, Bishop, and he said, of course. And then I sent it to John, and John said, do you need me to pick you up or are you picking me up? Has anybody got a friend like this? Like, no matter what, they got your back. So I want you to think about that for a second. Because this is actually the kind of relationship John had with Jesus. It was this kind of relationship. I want you to think about that. Like that person that got your back no matter what. Like you can call in a heartbeat and they're there no matter what. This is the kind of picture that you want to have when you're thinking about the author that is writing this letter to his church. He's talking about someone that was so intertwined with Jesus. Someone that was so intimately connected with Jesus that he had his back no matter what. John was the disciple, one of the disciples, if not the only disciple that was there in the crucifixion while people were running away, while some of Jesus' disciples were doubting, while some of them actually denied him. John is like, listen, if you're going to kill him, you might as well kill me because that is my best friend. I'm a ride or die. I'm going to be there no matter what. I got his back. That's the kind of relationship that... John had with Jesus it was this relationship like yo I got his back no matter what and the point it was to the point where John after the resurrection and after Jesus's ascension John was persecuted as a pastor of a church to the point that he was boiled in oil history will tell us that he was boiled in oil he somehow survived that. This is John. Now, he could have denied his allegiance. He could have denied his fellowship. He could have denied his connection to Jesus. But John was so devoted and dedicated to this relationship 
that even to the point of persecution, he said, I'm not going to deny the person that I have fellowship with. I'm not going to deny the person that I am intertwined with. I'm not going to deny the person that I've given my life to and that give, that's given their life for me. I'm not going to deny. So much so they even poisoned John so that he could die. And guess what? He miraculously survived poison to the point that they banned him to an island. This is the kind of author you're hearing from today. You're hearing from an author who everything he's, he writes is with conviction and with passion. Picture Lisa worshiping. That's how John's writing. He is writing with such passion and with such conviction. He's not talking about, and I could imagine like, I, I could imagine him talking about his closest friend. That's how you know it's true. Oh man, it cracked. No, I'm just joking. And... <laughs> This is the kind of conviction he's talking about. John is like, this is my closest friend. This is not just me, you know, subscribing to a leader of a religious group. This is not just me subscribing to someone that started a cult. This is someone that I've given my life to. This is someone that is the lover of my soul. Like, this is my best friend, greater than Will Smith and DJ Jazzy Jeff. I'm closer to Jesus than that. Greater than Zach Morris and Screech. I'm closer to Jesus than that. Greater than... uh uh. A Barney Rebel and Fred Flintstone. I'm, I'm closer to Jesus than that. This is my boy. This is the lover of my soul. This is my, this is my friend who I'm talking about when I talk about being in him. When I talk about being close to him. When I, close about, when I talk about proximity with Jesus. And, and, and I need you to get this because when we're reading John chapter 2 and he starts, so much of what he shares is in this context of fellowship with Jesus. What do I mean is that oftentimes we think that what some of the writings that John is talking about or some of the things that John says, we read them and then we begin to question our faith in Jesus. But John's not writing this so that you can question your faith in Jesus. He's writing this so that you can examine your fellowship with Jesus. See, this is what religion does. Religion says, look, read those things. And what John is saying is that you're, you don't know Christ. You're not in Christ. You're not even saved. And then you're questioning your salvation, but he's not saying this so that you can question your salvation. He's saying, I need you to examine if you're in what salvation has made available to you. This, this is what his purpose is. He's, he's writing this, and the best illustration that I can come up with is an illustration of a wedding ceremony in a marriage. Any married folk in the house? Come on, come on. Any happily married folk in the house? Fake it till you make it. For those of you that have to fake it, I don't have to fake it because I'm extremely happily married. Man. Uh, um, um, that's the best example that I, can, that, that I can use as an illustration. Like, what he's talking about, he's not talking about the, he's not saying, hey, listen, you need to question your faith in Jesus. He's saying, I want you to just examine your fellowship with Jesus. I want you to just take inventory of your fellowship with Jesus. Are you connected? Are you intertwined? Because the kind of relationship I had with Jesus was a relationship that, that my relationship with him dramatically impact how I live my life with others. He says, I don't, I don't need you to question. In other words, it's not about the forgiveness of sins. It's, it's, are you in fellowship with him? See, it's not just the wedding ceremony. It's what the wedding ceremony escorts you to. 
And what he's speaking about is there's so many people that were enamored with the wedding ceremony. Oh, it's, I can't wait. I have the forgiveness of sins. I'm finally going to be clean and forever clean. No, you don't understand that you becoming clean was done for a purpose. Not so that you can just be made clean. It's so that by being made clean, you can now have fellowship and reconciliation with your own lover. So he's saying like the wedding ceremony is not the end of the journey. The wedding ceremony is not the conclusion. The wedding ceremony is what is now giving birth to a relationship with Jesus. Oh, I could even talk to married folk uh, uh, even right now. I heard that there's someone that's engaged. Imagine you focusing so much on the wedding ceremony, but then losing out on what the wedding ceremony has made available for. See, see, the marriage is about, the wedding ceremony just escorts you to now living in close proximity with the person that you've made a vow to, with the person that you've given your life to, with the person that you have pledged your love to. And now every single day, you become more intimately connected with this person. Every single day, you grow in your love with this person. Every single day, you kind of get a, a feel of their likes and their dislikes. And every single day, you have a desire more to please them. Every single day, you, have, uh, you enjoy their company. Every single day, now you grow in your affection with that person. This is what a marital covenant looks like. And what John is saying is like, hey, too many of you guys have just limited yourselves to the wedding ceremony. There's so much more that's been made available to you. And so imagine you have this amazing wedding ceremony, right? Like the most epic wedding ceremony. And then once the dancing is over, once the pledges have been made, once the vows have been, the next day, you're walking as if you have been, as if you have not been impacted by the vows and the commitments that you've just made. So you, so you see what's happening here. John is speaking to a group of people that just settled with having their slate wiped clean. And guess what? The truth is that if you've placed your faith in Jesus, your, your slate has been wiped clean. But that's not the only thing that placing your faith in Jesus makes available to you. It's not just your sins have been forgiven. He's called you to reign in life. But in order for you to reign in life, you have to walk with him, live with him, and be led by him. If you believe that in this place, give God a praise. So this is where, this is where he says, he says, this is where we start in verse 1. Look what he says. He says, my little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ, the righteous. John is speaking to a group of people that according to scholarly opinion suggests that this group of people were, were saying or were spreading rumors that, hey, man, now you don't have to do any more sacrifices. You good. Like your sins have been forgiven. You could keep sinning. Like it's no thing. Like you could actually keep doing the sins that you were doing. But now like your, your slate has been wiped clean. Like you're good. You don't have to perform those sacrifices anymore. John wants to make it clear. Hey, I'm writing this to you so that you won't sin. I'd, in other words, sin is you walking in less than what God has intended for your life. It's called missing the mark in the original language. Hamartona. It's missing the mark. 
It's you accepting less than what God has made available to you. And here's the truth about the message that we share of grace, that it is almost impossible for you to share the message of grace and not, to, and not have to clarify this. This is really good. So it's so, the message of grace is so radical and it's so anti-cultural that it'll have people thinking at first, so do you mean now that God has forgiven me from all my sins that I can continue to live in those same sins and I don't have to pay for them because they have been paid for already? Anytime you preach the gospel of grace is only a matter of time where this question is going to come up. As a matter of fact, growing up in a Pentecostal church, this question never came up. We didn't ever have to ask. Like, I never looked at my pastor and I said, hey, are you trying to say I could keep sinning? Matter of fact, though, but if you are getting that question, that means you are preaching the true gospel. I love it. I love it because when you are sharing the grace of God in its unadulterated way, it, it almost sounds like it's too good to be true. Like, hey, are you trying to say that God's grace has forgiven me? And when you understand it just intellectually, at first it starts sounding like, hold on a second, this sounds like a deal. I'm going to go and keep on sinning. I'm going to go and do my sin. I don't have to perform any sacrifices anymore. I'm going to live in sin. And John's like, no, 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 no. Like, like, you don't understand. That's not the point. The point of this whole relationship with God is not stop sinning. It's fellowship with Jesus. It's communion with Jesus. It's him becoming the lover of your soul. And John's like, hey, I'm writing this to you so that you won't sin. I'm writing this to you so that you won't walk in less than what God's intention for your life. Why? Because watch this. Not because God's going to change his mind about you. He says, the reason I'm telling you not to sin is not because God's going to change his mind about you. It's because the effects of sin in your heart may change your mind about God. Hear me. Hear me, hear me. He, he, he's saying, I need you to understand the motivation for this thing. Because it's not because God's going to now change his love measure for you. But that something about sin that is so dark that it, when it creeps in your heart, it may change your affections and your receptivity to God's love for you. There's something about sin that can creep in your heart. It doesn't change God's heart for you, but it may change your heart for God. It doesn't change how God sees you, but it may change how you see God. It may not make God doubt you and your genuine relationship, but it may make you doubt your relationship with God. Ooh. John's like, no, I, I'm writing this so that you won't sin. I'm writing this not because when you pray, God loves you more. Something about when you pray makes you so receptive to the love of God that it now stirs up affections for you to love God more. And I definitely am aware that our relationship is not predicated on our love for God, but there's definitely something about God's love for us that, uh, that allows us to respond in our love for him. Oh, reading the Bible doesn't make God love you more, but there's something about reading God's word. There's something about reading God's word that makes me fall more in love with him. Why? Because I'm responding to his goodness. I'm responding to his grace. I'm responding to all that he's made available for me. There's something about, there, listen, coming to church doesn't make God love you more. You don't show up in this sanctuary and God's like, oh my God, open up another love tank for so and so. No, no, no. It does not make God you love, love you more. And when you don't come to church, it doesn't make God love you any less. But there is something about coming to church. 
I said, there is something about coming to church that stirs up my affection for me to be a proper recipient to receive the love of God and transform my heart and me to respond in surrender. Me to respond in worship. John's like, listen, I'm writing this to you so that you won't sin. So I just want to give you just three little reasons and motivations as to why as Children, he says, my dear children, I'm writing this so that you won't sin. These are three motivations that we have as children of God. Why we choose to walk in fellowship with Jesus regularly and why we choose not to walk in sin. The first reason is this, and I need you to write this down and save this for later. If you're watching this, put this in the chat. The reason why we shouldn't give in to sin is because sin gives access to the enemy. The reason why we choose not to give in to sin is because sin gives access to the enemy. Let's go through this quickly. Romans chapter 6, verse 15 and 16. It says, does this mean that now that we can, now we can go ahead and sin? By the way, if Paul had to deal with this question, when you're preaching the gospel of grace, you're going to have to deal with this question. Because I'm telling you, like, Paul knew how to preach this message. And if Paul had to deal with it, and John had to deal with it, then the church has to deal with it too. And matter of fact, if you are not dealing with this question, you may not be preaching the unadulterated grace of God the way you should be. Bookmark. Does this mean that now that we can go on ahead and sin and not worry about it, He says, of course not. Don't you realize that you can choose your own master? You can choose sin with death or disobedience with acquittal or with obedience with acquittal. The one whom you offer yourselves, he will take you and be your master and you will be his slave. See, when you say I'm going to choose sin, we are voluntarily giving ourselves to the author of sin, and we give access to him in our lives. When we give access to the enemy in our lives, he begins to funnel in destruction, deception, and death. When you give into sin, slowly but surely, you begin to open up the door and open up opportunity For Satan to come in and do as he pleases. Here's what you need to understand as a child of God. That Satan can't have his way in your life unless you voluntarily give him access. So good. That's why when people get all like like demon conscious and demon crazy and I'm like, the enemy has no access in my life. Because I choose and I volunteer who I am a slave to. Am I going to be a slave to sin? Or am I going to be a slave to righteousness? I don't know about you, but I want to be submitted to the righteous one. I want to be submitted to the good one. I want to be submitted to the one that has the best interest for my life. Because I'll tell you right now, sin has an agenda and it's not to prosper you. It's to destroy you. Ephesians chapter 4, it says, and give no opportunity to the devil. Can I just say this? The enemy can't conquer you without your cooperation. (sighs) I'm going to say that again. The enemy can't conquer you without your cooperation. 
This is, this is good news and this is, free. this is freeing some people right now. Because some of us have been thinking that the enemy's on your back. And you think the devil is just on your back and they're like, oh, just, you know, the devil's getting the better of me. The devil is attacking me. Let me tell you something. The devil cannot conquer you. He can form a weapon. He can try to attack you. But guess what? You have the victory. Why? Because your allegiance is not towards obeying his temptation. It's embracing God's love for you. What, ha what happened to Jesus? He was tempted. He was tempted to what? To pledge his allegiance to Satan. How? By just doing what he says. By just doing what he says. See, it wasn't innately sinful for Jesus to turn bread into, sown into bread. But it's who was asking that of him. He was giving himself under the leadership of Satan if he gave into that temptation. And sometimes the enemy is not going to tempt you with these huge, um, crazy sins. You know what temptation is? The gravitational pull that keeps you away from you fulfilling your purpose. It's the thing that lures you away from the person that God has called you to be. And that's what temptation is. It's just pulling you. You know, no, you, no one here is ever tempted to pray. No one, you know, I just, I'm just dealing with this temptation. It's just, I just, I can't help myself. I have to pray. Because temptation is always pulling you to the lesser portion of life. Less than what God's intended for you. Even if it looks like a promotion, the agenda is destruction if the enemy is asking you of it and not the word of God. Can I give you the second one? Number two. Why don't we give in to sin? Here's number two. Because sin hurts you and it hurts others. Too many of us have been concerned if we're going to be punished for our sins. And what I want to submit to you is not so much that you're going to be punished for your sins because God has already paid the penalty of your punishment. But too many of God's children, they're set free from the punishment of sin, but they're not set free from the punishment of their sins or by their sins. Why? Because it's our own choices that are punishing us. Mm -hmm. What if I were to tell you, you're not being punished for your sins, we're being punished by our sins because sin hurts you. And sin hurts others. And what John is saying, like, hey, listen, you can't be walking with, like, it's just impossible that you're walking with Jesus, living with Jesus, eating with Jesus, and then hurting other people. That's why he says, like, yeah, you, if you say you're walking in the light, but you hate your brother, yeah, there's just no way that you're walking in the light with Jesus, but still hate your brother. Like, it's just impossible for you to, it's like you have better chances of being a Mets and Yankees fan than you being able to walk in the light yet hate your brother. Do you see it? He's like, it just, it's not consistent with each other. And so what sin does, that sin hurts you and it hurts other people. I want to tell you this, Kuhau. That God may treat you based upon grace, but people will always treat you based upon performance. That's important. That's important. God's always going to treat you based upon grace, but people are always going to correspond with you based upon the way you carry yourself. So it doesn't matter if you're a child of God at work. 
internally, but externally with people, they can't see the light that's shining. This is what John is saying. John is, not, John is saying like the sin dilemma has been taken care of. The question is, are you making that available to people? Because could it be that you can live your life forgiven of your sins, but still make it difficult for others to receive the forgiveness of sins because of the way we... Whew. This is what John is saying. Sin hurts you, and sin hurts others. Let me read 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 12. Look what it says. It says, be careful to live properly among your un believing neighbors. Be careful. He says, I want you to be mindful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors. Why? Why? Why, Peter? Then even if they accuse you, anybody ever been accused? You can't be a pastor without ever being accused. If you want to be accused, become a pastor. <laughs> then even if they accuse you for doing wrong they will see your honorable behavior and they will give honor to God when he judges the world so is your behavior important yes yes but your behavior is not important so that God can treat you different your behavior is important so that other people can see the love of God and receive the love of God for themselves. Number three. Oh, I'm so good on time. We're going to have a worship concert right now. Here we go. Number three. Why do we choose not to give in sin, into sin? And this is my favorite. I'm going to be honest. This is my absolute favorite. Javier, you can come up. <laughs> because you've been made brand new. Why, why, why is it that we don't give in to sin? Oh, it's because we're, we're new. And when you're new, your, your desires and the thing that brings you satisfaction has changed. When you are made new, Watch this. You can't even sin good. When somebody asked me one time, they said, what do you need to be called a pastor? They like, feel like you can't do anything else but be a pastor. I was like, because I try to be other things and God doesn't let me. It's the irresistible call of God on your life. Can I tell you something? You can try to go and sin. You'll be on the dance floor in the club and not even know how to dance. You try to curse somebody out and you're like freaking fracking freak. I can't even cuss. You can't even cuss right. Why? Because God has done something so powerfully on the inside of you that it makes you feel uneasy to do the things that you did before. And now you were okay with them before, but now you're just unsettled with them. And you're not comfortable anymore. Here's why. Because you're new. Because he inserted in you his spiritual DNA in your heart now that anything that doesn't align with the light, it's, like, it, it's just like, nah, I don't want nothing to do with that in my heart. 
I remember when I was, uh, when I was struggling in, in my sin. And I remember how comfortable I was with it. When I was introduced to pornography at the age of eight years old, I want to tell you I loved it from day one. I loved, I loved pornography from day one. Loved it. I can't even emphasize. I've expressed this to my wife trying to explain it to my wife to understand the mechanism that happens in your brain. And I'm like, yeah, it's like, it's like ice cream. You're just fascinated with it. From eight years old to late in my 20s. Loved it. And then he made me new. And I remember giving my life to the Lord and knowing Sometimes this thing might get the best of me, but I just don't like it anymore. Just, I'm not comfortable with it anymore. I'm not okay with it anymore. And that's what happens when God makes you new. You're just not okay with the way you were directing your life before. I remember, I remember one time I was at a Wu-Tang concert. And I was, I was already serving the Lord. Like, I was already serving the Lord. But I was trying to, like, fit in. You know what I mean? Like, I was like, yo, but it's Wu-Tang. I got to go. And I was still, I didn't, I didn't encounter grace. So I was still under, like, a little condemnation. And I was in the Wu-Tang context. I came to give the pain, I'll go to the brain. And I remember, and I remember as I was singing those lyrics, the back of my brain, I was like, I was like, please, Lord, don't come today. <laughs> I just, I, you just get uncomfortable with, you, you get uncomfortable with, and that's what John is saying. John is saying like, yeah, like once you start walking in the light, you're not comfortable with darkness. You're just not comfortable doesn't mean that you can't listen to certain songs. It doesn't mean you can't listen to certain music. It doesn't mean you can't have a good time. It doesn't mean any of those things. What it does mean is that God has placed his new life-changing DNA on the inside of you. And there are some things that you were once comfortable with that God is saying, listen, when you start walking with Jesus, he's like, his light shines so bright that you're like, yeah, I don't, wanna, I don't want any part with that dark. And guess what? Some people may not understand it. Ooh! Some people may not understand it. And at first, they may be like, look at this guy. He's too good to hang out with us. Look at her. She's too... But there's something about the way you live. Something about the way you shine. I remember that when I was at work, and they always would um, make fun of me for loving Jesus, because I used to always sing worship songs. But you know who was the first person that they called? You know who the first person they called when they were going through it? I remember this one guy. Like, the dude always patronized me. He was a funny, funny kid. I can't front. He, like, he, was, he made me laugh about the jokes he was making. I, I never once thought he took me serious until he went through something. And he kind of went, he came to my desk. He's like, yo, Ro. Uh, and this is how he was saying to me. He's like, yo. I'm not a religious person, you know that. But if tonight you could uh, pray for me, 
When you're talking to God, just mention my name. I was George Drop Light. Something about shining your light that illuminates the light in other people. You have a new, God made you brand new. And this is where we conclude. So why don't we sin? Because it gives access to the enemy in our lives. Why don't we sin? Because it hurts you and it hurts others. And because you've been made new. You are brand spanking new. It doesn't mean that you're always going to see it on the outside. Because if you got saved with a corn on your left foot, you're going to have that corn on your left foot even after you are saved. But the inside of you has been changed. It's too late. You've been caught by his love. You won't ever be comfortable with walking away ever again. It's too late. You've been ruined to try to walk in sin on your own. It is ruined. It is ruined. Ruben asked me if they can scientifically prove that their God, a God doesn't exist. You know what I told them? I'd be like, it's too late. It's too late. I'm in too deep. I will pretend the rest of my life that I love because he's so real to me. Because he's transformed my life. And if you're telling me that don't exist, but my life is proof that it does, then I don't know what to tell you. I'm going to keep living this way because I've encountered the light of God. He says, he says, and we're done. Man, I got like four pages left. Here we go. John, you can take this. You can stand up. We're done. Here we go. I'm going to preach without notes. Here you go. So this could take two minutes or it could take 20. He says this. He says, I don't want you to sin. Sin is terrible for you. Sin gives access to the enemy. Sin will destroy you and it will destroy those around you. Sin is not consistent with who you are on the inside any longer. Living less than what God's intended for you no longer fits in the program that has been downloaded in your spirit. He goes, but, but I also understand that in this human nature and in this world, fallen world that we live in, I understand that sometimes we have to fight against that temptation. See, in this context, he's not talking about someone that's co-signing with sin that is on the same side of sin he's he's on he's talking to someone that knows that sin is the enemy and he says but when you when you're struggling and when you do sin it's okay because you got an advocate you know what an advocate means one that speaks on your behalf so so here's the thing when you sin who do you allow to do the speaking When you sin, who's doing the talking? Is it you? Oh God, I messed up. Here's what I did again. I can't believe it. Or you go to your religious self. I'm gonna, I'm gonna try harder. I'm gonna do more. I'm gonna fix it. Is it you who's speaking? Is it the enemy who's speaking? Look, look, look what he did. Look, yep. <laughs> Could you believe that? Could you believe that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's at church, but you know where he was last night? Oh yeah, that's the way he talks to you, God. But look at the way he was talking to his wife. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yo, oh, yeah, he's high off the smoke machine here. But yesterday, he was doing something else. Do you let the enemy do the talking when you sin? Or do you let 
the advocate. Do the talking. Because the advocate says this, yeah, that's true. That's true. He was there last night. Yes, he was screaming at his kids. Yes, he wasn't being generous. Yes, he was being unforgiven. But my blood is still present. Yes, he was failing. But my blood is still powerful. Yes, he did drop the ball. But my blood is still alive and well. He says, I've become the propitiation. You know what that word means? It means to appease or to satisfy. In another, in another context, it means to take away. Because under the old covenant, the sins were covered. But under the new covenant, he says, the sins are taken away. Under the old covenant, they were just covered. You didn't know what to do with them because they were just covered. Like sweeping under the rug. You know what I do when I don't want to do dishes? I leave them in the fridge. Lisa's like, why is this empty? I was like, I'm not finished with it yet. That's what, what the old covenant was. It was just covering up the mess up. But under the new covenant, under the blood, they're not covered. They're taken away. Watch this, not just your sins, the sins of the world. The sins of the world. You know what we don't preach? We don't preach that God has taken up the sins of the world away. Because we condemn people for their sins instead of letting them know that they can live free because their sin dilemma has been solved in Christ Jesus. The propitiation means this. Look, look, it means. I needed to become the master that was destroying you to destroy it. The very thing that you were enslaved to, I became. For he who knew no sin became sin so that you and I can become the righteousness of God. Come on, if you believe that in this place, I dare you to open up your mouth in this room and I dare you to give him a shout of praise. Let him know that the sin dilemma has been solved because grace came and where sin abound, grace much more abound. I don't know about you, but my life is not gonna be lived that just settled that my sins are forgiven. No, so my sins being forgiven has escorted me to all that God has made available to me. If you want everything that God has made available to you, give him a shout of praise.